to another episode of Are You Fucking Shitting Me? I'm April. And I'm Rachel. How you doing, Rachel? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Good. How you doing? I, I'm hanging in there. Yeah. You know. So crazy on fire. Uh, yeah. Crazy news this week. Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, just trying to not be obsessed with the news, <laughs> if that's possible. So, Rachel, do you know what a Wagnerite is? Um, well, I kind of do. but It's not only, a mineral. You know, it's not a mineral. And I only know it because I happen to be dating our guest today. <laughs> <laughs> but I would not have known that such a thing as Wagnerites existed. Yeah, I never knew they existed. So, Wagnerites are super fans, like Trekkies or Deadheads. Who love the opera composer Richard Wagner. I probably have said that wrong, his first name, but uh, anyway. It's, it's spelled like Richard. It's spelled so Richard. We're going to call him Rick. Yeah, Rick Wagner. <laughs> Rick Wagner. <laughs> they were the original super fans, little fanboys. Yeah, yeah. And it started back in the late 1800s. Since then, these Wagner societies have sprouted up all over the world. People get together and they debate everything from composition to he even wrote some philosophical essays and mm -hmm. treatises so they talk about that they travel all over the world to see operas there's a subset i don't know if it's a subset but there's a group of them called ring nuts <laughs> and they go to see the ring <laughs> Which is, as you'll learn from uh, our guest, The Ring is a multi-day opera, which sounds super intense. It's 17 hours, four operas, and usually performed over uh, a week. Yeah. So do you know anything about Wagner? He was a German composer. He lived from 1813 to 1883. Most people probably know him from that Here Comes the Bride theme. Which actually was created for a bridal scene in Lohengrin, one of yeah. his operas. Another big one, of course, is Ride of the Valkyries. Yes. Which has been used in several movies. Most people might know it from Apocalypse Now. Very memorable scene. We actually know someone whose dad was a Wagnerite. And so we uh, thought we'd talk to him about what his dad was like and what it was like growing up with a Wagnerite. I'm Montano Sokolo. People call me Tano. I'm an actor and also do other things uh, for money. <laughs> and, uh, and my dad was a raving Wagnerite. My dad passed away in 2011, uh, suddenly from heart failure. He was 67 at the time. And so he grew up in Culver City. He was uh, the son of Jewish Russian immigrants. He was a super math nerd. He was the guy in class that everyone hated who would not study until a couple hours the day, the day of the test and then ace it. 
he was always the smartest guy in the room. But also, he was a big old hippie. My parents were in, they, well, they were a little bit older than most, which meant that they graduated from UC Berkeley before dropping out. So he got a master's in math. And, uh, but then, yeah, the hippie thing took over and they were involved in the free speech movement right in the epicenter of it at UC Berkeley. And later they formed a small commune with some friends and family. That's where I was born. And he got into computers very early on in the early seventies. And that's what he did his whole life was programmer, computer programmer, working on one machine, basically his whole life, the mass spectrometer. Yeah. What does that do? Yeah. Um, so ironically, it's mostly used in drug testing. It's something that you can put any substance in and it breaks it up into its atomic and, and measures the atomic weight of, of the ingredients and tells you exactly what's in any very tiny substance. It's a pretty high-end machine. And I think at some point the army was also interested in buying small ones, which sent my dad into a he was a huge lefty and it sent him into a whole, you know, shame spiral of like, I'm building a war machine, you know, there's, it's in uh, Superman three. That's when he, when he tried, when, when, uh, the guy tries to figure out, uh, um, what kryptonite is made of. He uses something that is very much like a mass spectrometer. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. This was, which is why when we saw, I remember when we saw Superman three, it's the, he's Richard Pryor is it's the, the genius, the computer genius. And he's looking something up and it, and it tells him that it's, that it knows it can tell him everything that's in it except 3% unknown. And my dad was scoffed at that and was like, well, there's no unknown particles in the universe. We don't, we know, we know what atomic weight is, is for everything. When did he get into Wagner? My dad would play, not just Wagner, but any opera. He was really into, at, he would play at top volume. Like the neighbor that's like cranking Leonard Skinner at top volume. My dad was cranking German opera at full volume for the whole neighborhood to hear. It was pretty weird. He was really into the um, Live from the Met broadcast that was, I think, on Saturdays. So Saturday mornings for me, I still sometimes like to listen to classical music on Saturday mornings because it's that there was always some whatever was playing at the Met Opera they would broadcast live and he I think he played it so loud because he didn't want to miss anything and he might have to go into another room or something. Lots of German opera, lots of Wagner, and I mostly kind of hated it. I mean, I I didn't connect with it. So he was a hippie who listened to opera. How common was that? Uh, yeah, did not common at all. Like I don't, I, you, I, I've never quite met anyone like my dad, you know, later on he, when he got remarried, they both got into the Grateful Dead in like the late eighties. And, but it, before then, if you would ever ask my dad, do you like the Grateful Dead? He'd say, I don't listen to pop music. Wow. <laughs> like it, it was all pop music to him. He didn't care about any of that. He was, I should say he was also, he was really into movies. He was really into, he was really into comic books. He collected comic books. He read extensively. He was, he read novels and he also would read these really dense math books. And he was a very curious person. He was very interested in things and always asking people questions. And So where did he get this love of opera? The house he grew up in, I think they were all into opera in general. My, his his father 
who is very much the patriarch of our family, um, Sam, was his big thing was movies. He was super into movies, but he loved the opera and he loved old songs. He he knew the lyrics to all the old Tin Pan Alley songs. He knew the intros to every one of them. They all started with, well, my darling, I've been sad for a while now, you know, whatever it was. He, he would recite that and drive his wife crazy <laughs> with that. <laughs> um, but they were all into opera. And I think, and my dad around probably 19 or something got really just discovered the music of Wagner and was really taken with it and talked about it so much. And people liked him so much that the whole family kind of had to become conversant in Wagner and, and did. I mean, I, there was a time, I think when I was 15, his young, younger cousin, Judy wrote not for, I don't think for a school, anything. She just wrote her own essay or presentation and gave it to the whole family on a feminist interpretation of the ring. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> and everyone was in, you know, everyone got gathered together to hear it and was interested in it, you know, and, and almost all of his ex-girlfriends and his two wives and pretty much all of his friends kind of learned about Wagner, got, got to know it, to be able to, to talk about it with him. Now, why did he get into Wagner specifically? The music primarily and Wagner is a very he's a very controversial figure and he's he's just someone very interesting to learn about and talk about because he he can in addition to the operas he wrote with this this large canon of work he wrote essays and you know treatises and he he just wrote extensively about many subjects including there's there's one that's very damning to Wagner that's about the inferior Jewish race. Yeah, and how did your dad reconcile that? Not sure entirely. I mean, as a Jew, and I deal with this myself because I I'm a bit of a Wagner fan now, and I uh, it, it's he had uh, open eyes about it. You know, he knew the history and everything, and I think, but I think in general, when this sort of thing came up, my dad always sort of was on the side of like the artist is not the art. And I feel like if you, even your greatest heroes of any kind of art, if you knew them well, there's probably something terrible about their personality or something. There's lots of people like this that uh, in the world. And do you just throw out their whole output? You know, for one thing, when you go, when you see the operas, there are some Jewish stereotypes in there. I mean, there there are some pretty obvious things, but. But generally, it's not. It's very much thought of. Wagner is is like branded as as a Nazi, and he died in eighteen eighty three, long before Hitler came to power. He was an anti semite, but this sort of idea that he was, you know, a, a raging white supremacist, I, I think it, it's just not exactly accurate. In addition to the music, he Wagner contributed immensely to the opera itself and the way operas are performed now. He, he came up with theories of how things should be and he really blew apart what was a pretty formalized structure of how to make this art form. He didn't like choruses. He didn't like people singing over each other. And he, in his middle period at least, pretty much did away with that, which is kind of unheard of. If you go back to early opera, it's very formalized and it's very and it's sort of a series of songs. It's, it's almost like a musical in that they, they sort of lightly sing their way through the plot bits 
with what's called recitative when they're sort of half singing and there's just a, a harpsichord playing behind them. And then they have a big song and dance number. I always found that really stilting and boring. My, my German teacher in high school, he said, uh, someone brought up Mozart and she said, Bach, Mozart, everyone's singing. I am going, he is going, I am going, they are going, we are going, you are going. And they never go. That doesn't really happen in Wagner. He was really committed to what he invented this term Gesamtkunstwerk, which means total work of art. And he thought that the, you know, opera was the greatest form because it incorporated all the art forms. There's painting and there's sculpture in it. And of course, singing and music and everything he thought should serve the story, you know? The, so that's why he hated people singing over each other. And like any good artist, he made these strict rules for himself, and then later he broke all those rules. My dad told me something new every day about Wagner, because almost, because he was always reading. I don't know if this is true. He told me that there are more books written about Wagner than anyone except Jesus Christ. He was not musical himself, my father. He would, he was, he would, he would play the piano just terribly, and he would do it like when he was trying to get us out of the house, he'd start playing piano and we'd go like, all right, all right, because it was so terrible. But he would sit down with the score and just like like a mathematician just kind of piece his way through it because he was interested in it, but there's no musicality to it. He was incredibly empathetic when he would go to the opera. He was incredibly concerned about the singers and the players. Like more, more than being drawn into the story even, he was really concerned that the, are they going to get through it? Um, especially with the Wagner operas, because they're these five and a half hour, six hour slogs and with sometimes with only three characters. So you've got a tenor who has to sing for hours and hours. He told me all the time, there's only at any given time, there's only two or three guys in the world who can really sing some of these parts. So people can't sing these roles. They have to work up to it. They can't sing these roles until they're in their 40s. You, because they don't have the stamina of, until then, which is often why the, the, the sort of caricature of the, of the opera singers are these big, fat, old people. A lot of that comes from Wagner. The stereotype of the big, fat lady with the wings on her helmet and a spear, that's Brunhilde. That's specifically from Wagner, from The Ring. Can you put me in the world of a Wagner opera? What, what are his worlds like? What are the themes? For the most part, they are mythical. There's a lot of things from ancient Nordic myth that sort of cross paths with the Arthurian legend. And he has, so he has some Arthurian legend characters in his. One thing that's, I think, interesting about that. So again, with, in reference to like Wagner being this German nationalist, right? My dad did, he made a concordance of Wagner, the first one that still, I think it was sold to a library. A concordance is when so like a Shakespeare concordance is somebody typed in the entire text of every Shakespeare play and then it's in the computer and then you can, it's in a program where you can say how many times did he use this word? You know, it's really great for searching, things like that. So my dad did that. He entered the text of every Wagner opera he, in a language he did not speak. And by the way, when I found that out, it sort of, I sort of realized like, oh, all that time he's been spending working on the computer and unavailable to us half that time. He's just been typing in his, these operas, you know, but one of the most interesting things he found out from this concordance was that he, he searched how many times does Wagner use the word German Deutsch? It's very little. 
there's this sense of furthering German culture, but it's a lot. Some of these people are, you know, supposed to be English, ancient warriors or English people or sort of, or gods. And, and it's a lot of it exists in this weird dream state. There's a big theme in, uh, in a lot of Wagner operas about the sort of chaste hero the or, or kind of the wise fool, the young man who's been raised in the forest by by bears or by you know, who is pure, who changes everything from his purity. And there there's a strong like master race kind of feeling in in that, but it's also related to like a very old German kind of concept of uh, the purity of the of the hero. Something that my dad talked about Wagner that really stuck with me and like became a sort of linchpin for how I like look at each of the operas is that my dad felt that with each work Wagner at a certain point, starting from a certain point, Wagner was like exploring a subject and like looking for answers. His first three operas have a lot to do with love. The flying Dutchman is sort of a fairy tale, but then Tannhäuser is actually a lot about sexual love. And then Lohengrin is a lot about love, and it, but it's more about faith, religious faith, and also faith in people, having faith in your husband or your wife. And The Ring is about power. It's much like Tolkien's Lord of the Ring. There's this ring of power that's kind of an unspecified power. You're, like, you're not really sure what exactly it does, but it is all-powerful. And it's, it's the MacGuffin. Everybody wants it. And everybody's going to try and kill each other to get it. Wagner started writing and spent like 12 years writing The Ring and then gave up. And I said, no one's going to, it's this massive thing. The Ring is 17 hours of music. It's four different operas that are meant to be performed over a week. And it's got dragons and flying horses. And it's just, it's, and, and, and it ends with the end of the world. <laughs> I mean, it ends with, it ends with the end of the gods. Valhalla is burnt to the ground and the Rhine overflows its banks. And Tolkien definitely was aware of the Ring of the Nibelung and Star Wars. There's some big, strong parallels to Star Wars in the, the plot and in the music. John Williams stole correctly from the right people. So Wagner finished, tw spent 12 years on this and then gave up and said, no one's ever going to be able to make this. I'm going to write a couple of like pop operas. So just, I'm going to toss off a couple of things. And then he wrote his most beloved operas, which are Tristan and Isolde, which is probably my favorite, and the Master Singers of Nuremberg, the Meister Singer, which is a comedy. So, you know, taking things sort of chronologically, then Tristan and Isolde is just is only about love, romantic love between two people, and they are doomed. Then Meister Singer is art. It's about a song contest. I don't know, just relating to like Wagner being a proto-Nazi or whatever. At the end of Meister Singer, the, the young hero, right? This guy comes out of nowhere. He doesn't know anything about singing, but he wants to win this song contest because that's how he's going to win the girl. And the whole thing is about all these stodgy old musician guys saying, that's not how you write a song. You do it this way. Anyway, he sings from the heart and he wins the crowd. And, he, and so he wins the song contest. And they say, great, now you're a master singer with like us. And he says, I don't need that. I don't need to do that. And notably, like one of the one of the master singers stops and stops everything at the end of this like happy opera, stops everything and says, wait a minute, it's really important that you respect German art. 
And he and it, in the translation, at least that I saw, it was something like he says, like there may be a time when our land is in a great crisis, and we may be hated, but it is our art and our culture that will bring us out of it. So all of those things are sort of looking for something, and then Parsifal is absolutely confounding. It's a dream state. The whole opera is a bizarre dream state and it's beautiful. It is musically unassailable. It is perfect. The music is just perfect. It's it's very confusing and strange. And and a lot of that is because Wagner at the time had split with Nietzsche and gotten into Schopenhauer and gotten a little bit into Buddhism and in fact, I just read that Wagner at one point sketched out he might have written, he was maybe going to write an opera about a Buddhist story. But Parsifal is this is this young man who doesn't know anything. But ultimately, by the end, five hours later, he <laughs> he's able to heal the king's unhealable wound through mitleid, which is compassion. In German, literally means with pain like feeling someone's pain. He literally feels the king's pain with him. And that's ultimately how this unhealable wound is finally healed. And he, and it's, it's a beautiful, happy, kind of very religious ending. And my dad was really big on that compassion. There's all these things in our lives, but maybe compassion is the one thing that can connect us and save us. My dad was a member of the Wagner Society of Northern California and then eventually the president of the Wagner Society of Northern California, which was in San Francisco. And yes, they're nuts. <laughs> they are nutty people. They are really, really into it, <laughs> into Wagner. And my dad was like this later in his life. Like everything, any conversation you had with him about anything somehow eventually turned back to Parsifal and compassion. <laughs> You know, he'd be talking about the, the first Iraq war and it would come back to Parsifal. Yeah. I was around those people. They, they were my dad's, one of his sort of social groups in Germany. There's a town Bayreuth that is Wagner town. Like it, it's in Bavaria and it is where during Wagner's lifetime, they built this, the Festspiel house, this opera house. And it's specifically for his operas only. And to this day, it's run by his descendants, people who still have the surname Wagner. And they, once a year in the summer, they perform several of only Wagner's operas. And my dad got to go to that, I think twice. It's very hard to get tickets. People all over the world are trying to get tickets and there's a waiting list. And you're seeing these like five and a half hour operas. My dad said, the, the chairs are just wood. They're just wood backed. Like you're an upright, like you're, you are paying attention for that whole time. And he said at the end of these things, you know, invariably with any given production of whatever it was, there are purists in the crowd who want to see it a certain way. And there are people like my dad who just want to see something new or whatever it is, something done well. And so, yeah, any given play, half the crowd would be furious and booing. He said there would, he said at the end there would be applause, but there would then be 45 minutes of the audience booing at each other or cheering at each other, like trying to win, you know, the day of <laughs> like, this was a terrible, terrible thing. They're really serious about it. My dad was famous for bringing in to the Wagner society for, he brought in uh, what's opera doc, 
the old Bugs Bunny cartoon. Whenever that was on when we were kids, my, we'd yell, Dad, and he'd come running in to watch. It's the one that has Elmer Fudd is, you know, Spear and Magic Helmet, Spear and Magic Helmet. He's supposed to be, I don't know what he's supposed to be because the spear is one character and the helmet is someone else. But he's, you know, he's a Wagnerian archetype. Bugs Bunny becomes like Brunhilde at some point, and she's riding this big fat horse, which is one of the funniest things in those cartoons. And uh, they're actually singing. So my dad would say, and now I, now I know the music well enough, I can watch it and go, oh, very little of that is actually the music from The Ring, which is what it's parrying. But it's all other Wagner. Also, if you remember when we were kids, there was a commercial for Battleship, the game, the board game Battleship, where there's a Wagnerian soprano, right? The big fat lady with the, with the horns on her hat singing. And the, pe- the people up in the balcony are, are going, B6, 8, 7, because they're playing Battleship. So my dad would watch that. He'd, he'd be really annoyed that they were whispering because he's like trying to listen. Every time it was on, he was like, I'm trying to listen to the opera. And then one of them stands up and goes, you sank my Battleship. My dad would, he'd go, <laughs> like every time that happened, he'd grab his head and go, Rrr! he couldn't stand that. When I was uh, like 14 or 15, I got to go to Europe with my dad. Just him and me, we you know spent two weeks and it became this like tour of Wagner sites that my dad hadn't said anything about it, but like we did, well, we went to, uh, the, the place in Bavaria, um, the town that's like made for Wagner. And then, and we went to the castles in Neuschwanstein or, and, and there's another one right next to it, these famous castles in the Alps in Bavaria. So in his, as a young composer, he was, he had debts, he had, creditors on his ass he had to flee to Paris and he was womanizing and you know he had husbands after him typical like artist stuff and Wagner wrote a letter to every head of state in Europe that said dear you know king or queen I am Richard Wagner I am the greatest artist who ever lived you would be smart to fund me and become my patron and allow me to write my to to make my great art and in return i will write operas that will sing your country's praises and make your country you know immortal or whatever this is this crazy thing and king ludwig of bavaria crazy gay king ludwig took him up on it <laughs> said okay I think he was already obsessed with with Wagner in this whole style, and he was hated. His his he was hated this king of Bavaria, he because he bankrupted the country on things like this castle. Neuschwanstein is a castle to Wagner's you know glory and Germany's glory, and it's not made to be a castle. Like it's this is way beyond when people were holding up in castles. It's made to look like a storybook. The walls are covered with scenes from Lohengrin and and Tannhäuser and you know we saw the piano where he composed you know one of his operas on and then he built another castle across the way because it had a good view of the first castle <laughs> you know and then when we went to Venice Italy that's turns out that's where Wagner died and my dad took us on a side 
track to go, I want to see the place where Wagner died. And we, we went and it was this big wall. There was like a plaque that said something about Wagner on it in Italian, but it was closed. It was a big wall. And my dad was banging on the door and like ringing the bell and banging on the door. Hey, is anyone here? You know, and nobody said anything. So we like, he was really upset and we went and had a coffee somewhere and I was like, whatever. And, uh, and he's, he convinced me, he's like, let's just, let's try one more time. Let's just try one more time. And he went back and he bangs on the door again and nothing. And he gives up and we're walking away and then the door opens and this little old Italian man is like, hello, hello. Do you want to see, are you, you like Wagner? My dad's like, yes, yes. He's like, oh, well this, this is where Wagner died. It used to be a sort of, you know, museum to him, but they're, they're going to tear it down and build a hotel here, but I'm the caretaker. I'll show you around if you want. And so we got this like private tour uh, of this place in Venice and we saw, you know, we, we enter the room where there's like an old bed and there's a plaque on the wall that says Wagner died here. You know, I have a picture of my dad sweating buckets. He was so, he was very overtaken. He was very, he would do that when you'd go to the opera with him. He was sweating and he was breathing hard and he was, he was just so in it. It was embarrassing. <laughs> um, and we saw, you know, and we saw this is, this is the, piano where he wrote Parsifal on and my dad's like oh I can't believe it he plays one note and it's like I can't I can't my sister's first wedding involved some we we were all dressed up as different things she sort of used our family our family's Wagner thing and her first husband's uh he was really into Lord of the Rings so they kind of combined that for their ceremony and so they rented I think they rented they rented these amazing costumes maybe from the San Francisco opera and my dad of course was cast as Votan from who's Odin, basically the king of the gods from from the ring. I still have the spear that he was using, and the the pictures from that are amazing. That was like the greatest day of his life. He thought he thought the whole thing was for him. I wanted to know when Tano got into opera for himself. It was probably seventeen or eighteen, and I had like I came home from school and I put on. Just had a whim. I put on, um, I, I knew I liked Puccini. And so I put on, I was like, hmm, I'd never done that before. I just put it on alone at home. I put on the record and I listened to the first act of uh, Man of Butterfly. And that ends with this beautiful love duet. They've just been married and it's their wedding night. And it just builds to this crescendo. And I had this like physical reaction. I had this like epiphany you know, this like moment of just rush of emotion. And, and that was, I was like, Oh, like I'd watched my dad. Like I said, he would watch these things and he would be so in it and be so enthralled. And I'd like, I just didn't understand. So that was the first like inkling like, Oh, this, okay. I get it. I can see sometimes, you know, you got to put a little into it. You got to put your attention into it, but it can really pay off emotionally. And so I was really glad because I, I went to the opera because I was interested, but really to be able to talk to my dad because it was what he wanted to talk about, be, to be able to, whenever I saw him say, Hey, I saw this production and be able to talk about that. That's what he was really interested in. So when he died, you know, I was 40 and I, and I was like, I had this sort of thing like, Oh, the opera season's coming. Like, do I go, do I need to go? I don't know. But, and I realized, no, I, you know, it's really sad that I can't talk to my dad about these things, but I'm still interested in it. And 
boy, Wagner specifically, because probably because he blared it at every Saturday morning or whatever, you know, when I was a kid and I hated it then, but that music specifically has such emotional resonance for me now. It's all tied up in my dad and my childhood. That's Tano's story. It's pretty great, right? It's pretty great. I learned a lot about Wagner. I knew Brunhilde from Bugs Bunny cartoons, but I didn't Mm -hmm. realize that's what it was from. And really the only thing I knew, and really the only thing I knew about Wagner were all the anti-Semitic stuff. So I've always kind of discounted him because of that. Yeah, fair enough. I know Tano is really great at separating art from artist. I'm less great at that. Uh, I understand that it can be done. I feel like it's a little bit easier when someone hasn't taken direct harmful action against another person. But that's a whole nother subject. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to be less dogmatic about it. But I, it's one of those things that really surprised me when I as I learned more about Wagner, how the whole Jewish side of his family was very familiar, perhaps not as in love with Wagner as his dad was, but loved the music. And I know he has another family member who has put on productions of The Ring up in the Bay Area. And uh, it's, it's pretty intense. In fact, he put on a production of the ring part of the ring at a jewish retirement community wow how'd that go over right and he's jewish it was just it's very interesting on the other hand his music is so influential did you know rammstein that german metal band says that they're hugely influenced by wagner that that's one of their favorite (laughs) things um shout out to om our friend om who's a huge rammstein fan and people like tchaikovsky had to distance themselves from him. Some distanced themselves because he was so polarizing. You either loved him or you hated him. But some people like Tchaikovsky distanced themselves because his influence was that strong. He was, he really rewrote how opera was performed, perceived, how storytelling even happened. The whole Lord of the Rings is basically a retelling or, yeah, I had no yeah. idea about that. We are at the Disney Music Center listening, and as Tano's explaining the story to me, it was just an abbreviated ring, but part of it, he's like, this is where the ring gets thrown in the river, and I thought, ah, oh, like when Gollum picks it up in the river. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it kind of takes off from there. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. Also, hugely influenced John Williams. I know Tano talks about it, but yeah. it's crazy. There were times where we're... In that the orchestra is just playing it. There's only a soprano came out for a little bit, but it was just the orchestra. And I thought, this is Star Wars. <laughs> you know, now I want to go see some Wagner. Tano was talking about how there's clips online from the Met. So we're going to put some of those on our website. Another thing that Tano recommended was watching the movie Melancholia. Mm-hmm. We'll put a link of this on our website. There's about a nine-minute segment of music from Tristan and Isolde that is just supposed to be absolutely spectacularly beautiful. A friend of mine at work said when he listened to that segment, he finally got Wagner. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't know it was Wagner, and I love that segment. And then when... I started learning about Wagner through Tano. 
he pointed that out. In fact, that's the third act in Tristan and Isolde. And it's magnificent. Another great thing is if you guys are interested, you can go see the Met live streams operas at movie theaters. So a pretty nice chill way to kind of see how you feel about an opera is to go see a Met performance. Now, this isn't all Wagner. We saw quite a bit of Puccini and um, some other great composers. I like to have me some popcorn and an opera. Some popcorn and opera. And Reese's Pieces. <laughs> yeah, so those are fun things. I still love that people are freaks about it like the cosplay even happens and they're hardcore yeah I asked him a little bit about that and he said his dad didn't really dress up too much they would dress up in formal wear but they wouldn't get like costumey it's Um, true and yet his time in his in his daughter's wedding dressed up yeah was like the best day of his life (laughs) yeah and also I have to say it's pretty interesting that uh Tano says he's not a Wagnerite but I don't know. He knows way more than most people and goes to see way more shows than anyone I know of Wagner. I think he's Wagner adjacent. I love that there's a subculture of opera fans that have been diehards for over 100 years. That's amazing to me. Right. Yeah, that's dedication. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something about Wagner. And again, uh, we will have links on our site to that scene in Melancholia, and we will also have uh, links to the Metropolitan Opera in New York. There's a GoFundMe section and a Patreon section on our website now, and also how to submit your podcast to us. Keep them coming. We're really excited about this. And keep sending us ideas. If you could review our podcast on iTunes, that really helps us a lot. Thank you so much for everyone who already has. And thank you to everyone who's been donating and becoming a patron. That really helps us because Rachel and I are the only ones doing this show. We produce it. We edit it. We put it all together. And so we're really just so grateful that you listen to it and like it. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Rachel. Thank you, April. (laughs) Keep your head up during this news blast. Oh, man. I'm going to try. Hang in there, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye.